You're listening to 1001 Album Club, where each episode we discuss a different album from Robert Demery's book, 1001 Albums You Must Hear Before You Die. Oh my god, revolutionary. I see Rob's gonna be open and, and fun. <laughs> Good start. Alright, for this episode we'll be talking about the Beatles revolver. In the room I have Rob, Hi. Ben, Grady, Hi. and Charles. Revolver is a seventh studio album by the English rock band The Beatles, released on the 5th of August in 1966 on Parlophone Records. The producer was George Martin, and the genre is rock, pop, psychedelic rock. Following the release of Rubber Soul, the Beatles had embarked on what was to be their final UK concert tour, and following a lengthy break with no music obligations, they returned to Abbey Road to record continuously for three months. The first songs released from these sessions, engineered by a 19-year-old audio experimentalist, uh, Jeff Emmerich, were the singles Paperback Writer and Rain, and those tracks gave an indication of what was to come. At this time, the band was experimenting with hallucinogenics, including LSD, and their altered states influenced the way they wrote and composed songs, and since they had longer time in the studio to create an experiment, they tried to make the most of it. They wanted every track in instrument to have completely unique sounds, and in fact, one of the first groups to create the modern concept of using studio technology to create their music and to reject touring, becoming an exclusive studio band. The innovations included automatic double tracking, backwards recording, live mixing tape loops, and close mic drums, among a total of nine techniques that the Revolver Sessions introduced into recording world for the first time. Emmerich is quoted as saying, I know for a fact from the day it came out, Revolver changed the way that everyone else made records. The album was influential in advancing principles espoused by the 1960s counterculture and inspiring the development of subgenres such as psychedelic rock, electronica, progressive rock, and world music. Many music critics recognize it as the Beatles' best album, the album was ranked third in Rolling Stone magazine's list of 500 greatest albums of all time. Revolver is also certified five times platinum and spent seven weeks on top of the UK and American album charts. What did we think of the Beatles' Revolver? This is uh, really the first time I've revisited this record since I wore it out as a 13-year-old. And listening back to it as a 36-year-old... I still really like it, but it's like my my take on it has totally flip flopped. 
Uh, it used to be like a whole bunch of pretty cool songs around Yellow Submarine. <laughs> and now it's like every song on it is so cool and interesting. And then there's just this turd in the punch bowl that is Yellow Submarine. <laughs> That's a Ringo song. I mean, there's always a Ringo song. And, and Is it, though? It was the only single oh, yeah. they released yeah. for this album. It's and, like, and here's how we're going to represent Ringo didn't Revolver. write it. He just sang on it, right? Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. That, I'm pretty sure they were right, like, Rob. "Hey Ringo, why don't you go Could sing be. the song?" <laughs> yeah, they gave it to Ringo because they they knew his vocal well, range Mr. was Conductor's limited. Mr. Conductor's gotta and, be the yeah, one singing "Yellow Submarine." Yeah. I I don't know. What I that didn't means, feel that way cool. at all. I felt uh, Ringo for a while in the '90s was Mr. Conductor on Thomas the Train Engine. Oh, I thought you were making a Beatles reference, not a Thomas the Tank. Nope. Engine. That was Thomas. Also, just side note: What's wrong with "Yellow Submarine"? It's a perfectly fun. Romp. It belongs. It's well orchestrated. It's it's got a good progression to it. It belongs with a coloring book. It would be welcome on any Wiggles record. Kind of (laughs) probably came with with the the cartoon or the animation. Yeah, I felt like it was a completely you know it it felt right at home with the sort of psychedelic. It's bringing in all these different uh, uses of. LSD. What's it? yeah, <laughs> and uh, the studio recording. What do you call sure. that when you're um you're Over- hitting like bells and overdubbing? Yeah, sure. It, there was a lot of overdubbing in that. Yeah, one. it yeah. just feels uh, like Captain Kangaroo is going to come out and take a verse. To well, me. I I get that, I get that, but I, at the I, same time, I, I feel like they were. It's like one of those things where sometimes the simplest is just the most enjoyable, and I, would, I think I, they had so much fun with. I it. would argue that um, as much as they were in the studio for three months, um, the reason why that song was pushed the way it was is because it was the one that might still. Ha- it has just a little bit of that. Oh, Beatles! Whoa, they're having so much fun and doing all this shit. Like compared to any other fucking song on this record, mm-hmm. um, it, it was it was the one that could sell. It's the one I've been beaten over the head with my entire life. So as I was listening to this record, when it popped up, I was like, "Really, motherfuckers? Yeah. <laughs> this, na- this now? It, the book the book refers to it as the song that will outlive us all." <laughs> <laughs> I think that's true. I think the one thing that was kind of cool is. Um, because they had this extended period, I wondered why, and then Wikipedia kind of explained it, that their um, manager, Brian Epstein, was like, oh yeah, we're going to essentially do the same thing we've always done. They're going to make a full-length feature film, they're going to have the album that coincide, they're going to go on tour in the summer, and the Beatles are like, nah, that's not happening anymore. We are done with that shtick. Well, they they, uh, they touring, just like logistically for them, was... The technology had not yet caught up to their popularity. They're out there with combo amps playing Shea's, Shea Stadium. Like uh, there's, they didn't have the proper monitors. They didn't have a proper PA system. And the stadium of the loudest little girls screaming as loud as they can. I, I saw an interview for one of them. It was, I think, it was after Shea, and they were talking about, uh, I forget what song it was. Uh, they were playing, and Ringo was like, "We didn't play that song." And the other guys were like, yeah, we did. And Ringo goes, well, I didn't. It's oh. <laughs> like, that's how yeah. bad it was. Yeah. Well, yeah. not only did it have the technology not caught up with their popularity, or the technology hasn't, hadn't caught up with their their techniques and, and applications true. of that. So they, I mean, this into, uh, I mean, the next album was, was uh, Sgt. Pepper's. They recorded, I think, uh, Strawberry Fields in between this and and Sgt. Pepper's, but they just they just simply couldn't tour without a you know a full orchestra. Yeah, and, that, live, that yeah. that was one of the things that they said that this 
became since uh, originally musicians always had to tour because they didn't make money off records. But they wanted to change that, and so with this album, they said, "We're done. Like, let's just forget right, touring. They- let's make an album that we want to make. Use all the studio technology up to the time." And I think that is one, essentially and, and what, even hinted what comes at with in. with Rubber Soul. I mean, as they started to get, yeah. I mean, Rubber Soul is like the Smoke and Pot album, and this is the LSD album. Um, and they started to, I mean, their, their, their name isn't on Rubber Soul, even on the cover. Like, they, they were sort of moving away from what, whatever was expected of the, the groups at the time and, and were really trying to find their, their own voice. Um, and, I mean, you listed off so many of the, the studio techniques. I mean, they brought in, you know, Harrison was doing all his studies with Ravi Shankar. And so he had the, the Indian influence with the tambours and the sitars. Um, Lennon would give George Martin... You know, I want to. I want this part to sound orange, or I want the listeners to be able to taste sawdust, or I want to sound like the Dalai Lama screaming from a mountaintop. I mean, you know, I fucking hate that so much. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 well, but no, but why? And well, <laughs> other than just being a curmudgeon and a stuck in the mud. Well, let me let me also it finish. Insufferable. Uh, uh, well, but 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 uh, a studio. I want this. I want this part right. to sound orange. <laughs> no, no, no. I, and you know, I, I honestly, I haven't done enough LSD to. And, and been in a situation where I'm writing music where I can describe the sound by color. I, uh, well, I have, I've, I've never done LSD. You don't have synesthesia to be able to de- try to describe how you want something to sound or to feel. I mean, this is what they were trying to do is use the music, and, and, and McCartney is quoted as saying such, you know, to transcend sort of certain expectations of what sound is. And, you know, Lennon and and Martin or and, and uh, well Martin as well, but Harrison get the credit for always sort of being the experimental ones in some ways. But McCartney was the one in like sixty five, sixty six who was hanging out with Warhol, listening to Carl Heinz Stockhausen, making avant garde films, and really yeah. trying to just experiment with new things. All those tape loops at the uh, during Tomorrow Never Knows, yeah. those were all McCartney's like home recordings that he brought in, and they basically had them on loops with a guy like Jeff working, Emmerich, yeah. working the faders yep. and, and bringing them in at those different different points. So, I mean, this is a completely groundbreaking album on, on all levels. Sorry you don't like it, yeah. but uh, just, I, just because someone wants to try to describe or make music sound a different way or use descriptors that you find to be hippie, which which track's supposed to taste like sawdust? We can cue it up. And I mean, we can see how effective I, I know that the part, is in the recording. Tomorrow never knows. Partly was the the Dalai Lama screaming from the mountaintop. So he they 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 threw the fuzz on the vocals. They ran it through a Leslie. Um, yeah, and, and then so, all, all the tables. I, I mean, there's that tambura drone going on, which sort of has a saw tooth. Well, way. Uh, as, screaming from the mountaintops is at least a sound. Yeah. Besides, I'm sorry to interrupt on that. May I please Again, say some words? Sure. sure. <laughs> Just going to say a couple, two or three words here. Yeah. I legitimately liked Rubber Soul. Hmm. I enjoyed it. It was a great record. I went from this. I had never heard it before, so I was like, ah, I like Rubber Soul. Let's see what Revolver's about. And... God damn it, I think drugs ruined this band. <laughs> like, all the things that I enjoyed about Rubber Soul, they fucking, they, they lost. And, I, like, I didn't know it, but after reading up a little bit, fucking Paul was getting shitty at everybody for being on LSD. 
He was the only one that wasn't dropping acid at this point in time. He walked out on one of the songs, and George Harrison had to fucking pick up the pieces. And you can tell a Paul song way more so on this record than you could on Rubber Soul. That is it's, true. It's, it's a little disjointed because of that. They they aren't acting as a group. They're starting to fucking well, splinter off. This was when they all started to have I their own personal lives. I think this is the height. People have said that this is the height of them working together before it dispersed. And this was the last... People said that Lennon, you know, was the driving force, and after this album, it was more McCartney. Right. And so you can kind of see that and why this is the pivotal album that people really go back to because they were trying all these new techniques and they were trying to work together and doing these different things. I, mean, I, th- I think you're right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. They, they all start working a lot more individually from here on out. I mean, the White Album is. Like, it was that... No spoilers, I haven't listened to it yet. (laughs) I'm sure you're going to love it. thought was interesting they actually start with tomorrow never knows which is one of the, the most the recording yeah, yeah which is one of the most psychedelic you know just out there kind of uh songs that well it took its lyrics from like the psychedelic handbook that like timothy leary, timothy leary put together and the song, this is uh, how to adjust your mind to prep to prepare for doing hallucinogenics so, yeah um, yeah turn I've, off your mind relax and float down the street that's like the first one yeah book or something. but they they pulled in all these tape loops which i've found I mean, oh, I've so always cool. found fascinating that they pull in these different tape loops. They mix them live. Like, people actually have their fingers mixing up the faders to mix in to, directly to tape. I actually wrote down on my little notes, Tomorrow Never Knows, Cool Beans, not into the tape manipulation. <laughs> <laughs> Sound bad tome. I don't know what the last word was supposed to be. To me. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Sound bad to um, me. But you can definitely see, I mean, I... <laughs> Listening to it and, and listening to a lot of modern, uh, almost like droney, like uh, electronic music or stuff like that. I mean, you could see where people's heads started to form those ideas about this, like repeated phrases and things, and and taking from that even that individual song, people yeah. going in a different direction. And this is sort of direction. where we start to to get to the point where the Beatles can every song that they're not every, but a lot of the songs that they're they're creating. And the techniques that they're using, each song is sort of f- f- will form its own subgenre al- yeah. along along the way. Yeah. Um, and that that one, like the um, in Tomorrow Never Knows, that first like little descending like seagull shrieking. It's like I think it's like McCartney's laughter or something. Yeah, sped up with the tape manipulation. Um, they, they, ultimately, I don't think they're actually sure where a lot of those sounds came from. I was messing around with a Mellotron, and some of that was. Was in there. Um, the harmonium. So this album often is recognized for its pioneering experimental studio work. It also has some just solid 
pop rock and roll songs on yeah. it. I want to hear, like, Rob, what's your take on, like, right now in our headphones, we're listening to And Your Bird Can Sing. Uh, I, I, think I wrote a, down, And Your Bird Can Sing equals pretty tight song. Dude, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it's like a prototype of the just like the the power pop dude yeah. that's fucking like <laughs> yeah. that, that, that is like two guitarists like just yeah. running those fucking scales that's fucking fun as shit that's I'll, a great song is that two or is that harrison playing those what are it sixths it sounds like it, it i think it sounds that, like it's two yeah i think they're just like double guitar in that is thing it, it, i hope it's yeah. double because that uh, would be uh, is this michelangelo the yeah, uh, the guitarist with uh, the two necks <laughs> yeah right okay then uh like the the first verse done solo second verse that high harmony drops in it's just like such a well-crafted yeah it's, it's two minutes in one second long you know, it's it's just a two minute fucking just chunk of candy. Yeah, and it, I, I love it. The same way with Taxman. I mean, they start yeah. off with that just ripping Taxman. Um, well, they start out with that weird the the tape the tape of Harrison counting off that sort of cryptic yeah. one two three it just which is a complete far cry from anything. I mean, then just the drops you into a guitar jam. The beginning is of their <laughs> other albums were so much more just sort of straight laced yeah. and, and here's this the is just like. What is this? Is other this disembodied voice coming in, and it sort of sets the, the stage for. I mean, I, I can definitely for the whole thing. I can definitely tell with this uh, this this record. I mean, they they simply did not give a shit about trying to like uh, please anyone at this point yeah. because I mean, Jesus fucking Christ, they were in the studio for three and a half months. Just fucking high as a kite, yeah, and a brand new four track. Why are you and so angry? Doing all no, this fucking this is excited, Rob. Doing all this shit, like they they clearly Speaking like. Speaking of Christ, I believe this is the album. Yeah, where is this the one? The, yeah. Yes, where John the, Lennon says um, we're more popular than Jesus. Yeah, and it, I wonder if rock and roll will outlive Christianity or yeah. something to that and effect. There's some McCartney tracks that I really like, but in general, I. They're the ones that I get to less on a Beatles record. Yeah, for oh. no one was I, I just wrote down Boo McCartney Boo. That song is heartbreaking. I like the horn solo. Beautiful. In and for no one. And Eleanor Rigby? Yeah, the Rigby's I have a good. I have a problem with Eleanor Rigby only insofar as they weren't playing the instruments. He was singing the song. But they had a fucking entire like string quartet going through yeah. that, right? Yeah, and it was revolutionary. Started yeah. with yesterday. Cool, cool. No bands had done that before in this but sort of context. Wonderful, but I can can we just call that a George Martin song at that point, though? Oh, he's gonna hate Pet Sounds. No, I mean no. What are you talking about? They wrote. <laughs> they wrote. They wrote the song. George maybe helped with the orchestration, but and he played yeah, some instruments. He would play the like, piano. And, oh no, I mean like. It, they were, You're angry because mm, they weren't playing guitars? Oh, uh, no, I'm just angry that they... I'm not angry. I'm not... <laughs> number one, don't you put that fucking voodoo on Lawyer. me. Don't you put that fucking voodoo on me. Uh, number two, no, like, I, I don't think it would have been much to talk about had it not been for the, uh, like, the, the string parts being but in they, there. But they write the melody, they write the song, and then you have somebody else play it. I mean, but it's... That, that, but they, 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 they didn't orchestrate talking. it. Like, that, that wasn't you know a... That? They wrote the melody, but they didn't arrange it. Martin George Martin arranged it. Yes, okay. that, that was absolutely a George Martin arrangement. And had he not done that, 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 that they call song would have been the fifth Beatle for a reason. I know, but I, I just think. What's it, your point? What is what is my point? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I, I'm really I, curious. If, your, if your point. point is that George Martin deserves more respect than he's gotten, yeah. I agree with you. 100%. I agree absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He, then, then yes, that is my point. The one thing <laughs> he is a big part I, of, especially starting from this album and on, like his uh, production is is an instrument in himself. Yeah. I, the one thing I. 
I wanted to mention about that song real quick is um, the mics were mic'd so close to the strings that monocles were falling out of classical musicians' eyes because they were like, oh my gosh, it sounds so aggressive. They had those mics like directly on the strings. Which is great because you, you wouldn't like... It sounds harsh. Can I take your words they... at face value yes. and imagine there were literally that monocles? monocle wearing yes. cellists? <laughs> oh. I, I like that. I actually like that. Speaking of monocles falling off, I hated all the Eastern or like the Indian influence. Oh, really? Oh, no, yeah, I did not like sitars. Well, what I really want to know is on Taxman, did Ringo pick out the jangliest, <laughs> most copper, <laughs> copperiest tambourine to find to... Uh... That probably wasn't Ringo. <laughs> that was probably George Martin, actually. <laughs> Oh, dear yeah, God. did not care for those. <laughs> or maybe it was Harrison. I, I think that came back with Harrison. Like, he had a little, yeah. little, little bindle. Like, so not just full of, yeah. I brought my favorite tambourine. <laughs> and I think the reason <laughs> I, I don't like that Indian sound yeah. is because of... Um, it's gonna sound so dumb, but in the the movie Wall Card with Dewey Cox. Yeah, that doesn't that no. That is <laughs> that's an unacceptable reason. <laughs> We're gonna shut that down and just across the board. Oh, right I, out of, I, just, yeah. I giggle and I'm like, I can't take this serious. Yeah, that that sound has been parodied, and it's it's well, hard for a modern person to understand and appreciate that this was the first time that I love the a, sound a of, rock the, of the sitar and the, the drone and the tambour personally. Yeah, but, the, but it, it has been the, worn out. Yeah. At this point, where but, it, you can see anytime the, I think of but, a sitar, it's a house I went to that I was really unhappy that I ended up at because <laughs> that motherfucker's sitting in the corner. There's cigarette butts everywhere, a but, ferret. But to and, the, uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Why didn't you leave? <laughs> Have you never accidentally walked into a place like, you know, shit, sitar? <laughs> oh, and no! It's just, it's literally no, the, that has never happened. Oh, God, you've never been to... Uh, that happened to me at least three times in Bloomington where there was a fucking sitar in a hippie's house. I don't know how, why I got there, but it was bad news every fucking time. Yeah, I could see that, actually. Maybe that's just the college sound. I don't know. I'm sorry, are we off topic? No, I was just going to say that the, the sitar, I mean, you have to give it up for George Harrison... Uh, and the Beatles just to say we're going to play I'm going to learn this instrument and not only play it but do it in a way that is not a parody of Indian music like they were being trying to be as genuine as possible with in India studying with exactly and, exactly and, and so I I kind of applaud them for bringing you know we talk about about on these albums bringing in a different cultures you know music and exposing it to uh, other people they were like you know obviously bigger than Jesus uh, at the time, and they're bringing in this stu- stuff uh, and kind of saying, hey, this is other music. We like this music. Maybe you will too. So, Were they and, bigger than Vishnu, though? Yeah. And the population of the world says, okay, Beatles, we like it too. <laughs> <laughs> Rob, you mentioned that McCartney was giving them shit for doing acid? Yeah. Lennon says that McCartney's Got to Get You Into My Life describes the composer's experience taking acid. Really? Yeah. 
Because there was also the um, here, there, and everywhere McCartney actually uh, left the studio because he wasn't into the uh, the LSD. Man, that's so. like a mellow jam. That song's not even that psychedelic. Well, I mean, here, there, and everywhere. I mean, yeah. I mean that's oh, that's, so, that's so, a McCartney uh, song. That's uh, McCartney song. Sure. I mean, um, and, and again, they they were you know. They were having a schism. Yeah, they, I mean, it's it's true. Yeah, it turns out making millions of dollars in a, a band in your twenties, and then like you know, going through twenties puberty while being a fucking millionaire is uh is hard on everybody. Mm-hmm. Especially also like there's some I mean, serious musical they, genius going on in it. There's a few cooks in this kitchen. A couple, two or three cooks. There's two or three cooks. <laughs> and you could not uh, make them a stew. Primarily Ringo. Three and a quarter cooks. <laughs> if. If you had composed a sweet melody, a, a nice song, and then for some reason your bandmate's over here and he's stone drunk and he can't, you know, do it, I could, I can understand. You know, that, all over that you're having a hard I time. I don't care one way or the other. They had their spats. They obviously yeah. went their own ways. Ultimately, it still led to another, you know, three and a half years worth of music from here. So yeah. they were doing something right through through all that. And I mean, you know, comment that you know. Uh, Rubber Soul could have easily been any band's crowning achievement. And then they took what came from that and they decided just to go off in whatever direction that they, they wanted to. And you got you to gotta applaud that. I, I yeah. applaud a good three songs on this record. And I appreciate... Which ones? Um, I would say... Well, Yellow Submarine says, fuck off forever. Uh, <laughs> she said, she said... Uh, oh, no, that was She Said, She Said, where McCartney walked out because the dudes wouldn't knock it off of the LSD. Well, um, ironically, the, the, the line from that song, and you're making me feel like I've never been born, was apparently, supposedly, something that... Um, who's the Fonda? Peter from, Fonda. Peter Fonda said when they were all doing acid together. Yeah. And yeah. which... Oh. So, it, I, I, I mean, fucking cool, but then when I hear just, it out, when, when I hear it out loud, I'm like, oh god damn it! It's also a rad song. Um, it is. I've got some things to say about no, that song. Uh, uh, jam. And your and your bird can sing. I thought was fucking dope. Um, I really liked. I want to tell you. Um, yeah. And I thought tomorrow never knows was a fucking stone cold banger. Yeah. Um, and that you know, but like, I just I I uh, I, I keep. Honestly, yeah, the, uh, the, and be, I'm not the Indian fucking yeah. stuff, like, it, the, the, the really jangly percussion just, it, it bothers me, and it's a real stupid thing to be bothered by. You're not alone, brother. I just, I, I, I think that I didn't hear this record at an important time in my life, and I've heard many things after it that it's, mm-hmm. that it's been built on that I enjoy quite a bit more, and I won't go back and revisit this because... I might I might put those three songs on something for someone who says they don't like the Beatles because I'm like, hey man, I don't really like the Beatles either, but they took these three songs out. They're pretty sweet. They're pretty you know? dope. Yeah, and um, yeah, I I I can appreciate all the uh, the studio magic that happened, but honestly, like, you know, I get give give me uh, Black Sea by Ecstasy, mm-hmm. like, and I'll. I'll be a happy camper, which most Speaking likely of, wouldn't have existed without this album. I, I, again, I, I I believe that I I led up to that. <laughs> Speaking of things that wouldn't exist without this album, uh, in in the book we're listening to "Tomorrow Never Knows" in our headphones right now, and the book says uh, the Chemical Brothers based a career off "Tomorrow Never Knows." Yeah, yeah, I hear sure. it. Yes. I've never thought of that before, yes. and now it's all I can hear. <laughs> you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, one of my one of my favorite notes in this that I put was. Studio was an instrument, and I think that was kind of cool yeah. that they were like, "All right, let's see what we can do, push the boundaries." And while I, I'm kind of torn between Rob and Grady on the, 
I could take it or leave it, and this is the greatest album ever. I'm kind of in the middle as far as Beatle albums. It's uh, fine because you're both wrong. That's, that's cool. But it's one of those that's like, I can appreciate everything it's done for music. Is this my ultimate favorite Beatles album? Eh. What is yours? Um, so far that we've listened to... Um, no, just like ever. No, across the board. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I mean, Hard Day's Night's really good. Like, And I it just good really one. like it because it's... Yeah. It, it kind of set the tone for the 60s in here, and it was just like a good, you know, it kind of reminded me of, you know, um, Andrew Bird Can Sing, just simple, fun songs. I would like to give credit where credit's due. Ringo catches a lot of shit. It's oh, fun. It's easy to make fun of Ringo. Yeah. And uh, and it's often made fun of Ringo. And I don't like the song Yellow Submarine, and I don't think I'd like it if anyone else was singing it. This is nothing against Ringo. But... People often say he's a shitty drummer, and he's not. What? He's not. That's that's incorrect. He's not often a very showy drummer. He's often just a a backbone for these, like, fucking three superstars. Yeah, like Uh, Lars. But when he shines, it's cool. The drums on She Said, She Said are really cool rock and roll drums. Yeah. There's some sick beats, some really tasty fills in there, and... Just cause, like, and he's he's not spraying that all over every song. He's using it where it's needed, and he it's executed with precision. Let's go to our <coughs> next section. How do we feel about this being in the book, uh, including this uh, Beatles album in the book? Now, I, I have to say that um, Help was not in the book. That yeah. was one of the albums by the Beatles. You know, so not every Beatles album is going to be in here, including the first one. They had and to make Elf. room for some White Stripes album. Exactly. <laughs> so, how do we feel about this one being in the book? I think it belongs in the book. I I can't think of a Beatles album that I would have cut, and I think that the Beatles are really represented well in this book. But one of my favorite Beatles albums is Beatles for Sale, and it's not in the book. So I don't know if I could swap it out with Revolver or Rubber Soul, but I now, think it kind of like, gets forgotten in the middle there, you know? Was that one of those like, more in-between albums, or like around like Yesterday Today? No, it was, um, it was, a, it was a real album. Uh, Yesterday and Today was like a... Like songs that were cut off of a few other ones and put together for American artists. Yesterday, today had uh, "We Can Work It Out," right? It probably I did. Believe. You might be right. Yeah, yeah. So that, that's like around like like a year or so earlier, like sixty five ish, sixty four, sixty five. Yep. I think Beatles for Sale. I think it's before. I think it's right before Rubber Soul. Okay. okay. And it's really it's like a a segue album from radio pop Beatles into more mature Beatles and. Kind of like similar to that uh, Dylan bringing it all back home, where he's got like the the acoustic songs for the folkies, and he's also stretching his legs a little bit where he can. Mm. I kind of see the Beatles doing that on that album, not necessarily with the acoustic folk songs, but they've got like their bu- more bubblegummy uh, teenager rock songs, catchy songs that they were known for. But then some of the other songs on that album, they're they're really stretching their legs they're a bit. Out they're, a bit yeah. they're getting moody. They're getting uh, Rob would probably call it emo. What? Like, <laughs> don't, don't you put that on me. Those are your so, words, sir. But yeah. sir. It, it's got it's got some like dark introspective stuff going on. It's got uh, some like interesting mel- interesting melody work. And I think that uh I don't know. I think that there's so much cool stuff going on that and it got, kind of gets glossed over a little bit, especially with the band as prolific as that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but I am assuming Grady is your thumbs up for this. Yeah, I mean, this is okay. one of the best. I mean, general we're gonna call it rock i don't know yeah. uh, without subdividing things but one of the best rock albums of all time um 
there are some parts of other Beatles albums that I like better, but I think as as overall, I mean, what this did, the songs that are on here, um, this is a top five album forever. Yeah, I think it should be in the book. Um, I'm for that. It is a definitely a turning point for them, and it shaped what is to come. And but the biggest thing, the reason I think it should go in the book is um, what it did. Uh, it pretty much laid the foundation of what pushing the bounds were in the studio and kind of using the studio as that extra instrument and doing close mic um, on the instruments. And the, there was a thing where a lot of um, American studios were trying to tear apart their studios and yeah. replicate the sound yeah. that they did on Revolver. So I think um, they definitely hit, they did a good job doing this album. The production value is there. Um, was it all, you know one of my favorite albums that I listened to? No, but I mean, it did have some catchy songs on it. But yeah. I yeah. believe it should go in the book. Yeah, well said. I I probably would have said something similar that the just how revolutionary the recording was and really solid tracks. I mean, the I think the only track that I'm a little shaky on is uh, Doctor Robert. I um, wrote bored next yeah. to it with three exclamation. Points. <laughs> that that was like the one yeah. track that was just I, I was a little like eh. apparently a real Hollywood doctor. Yeah, you yeah, yeah. You get drugs from. I love, yeah. I love that that vocal harmonies in the little chorus. Yeah, I mean, well, well, it, well, yeah, it, it's one great. of those things where it's like. Yeah. It's such a strong album that you. It's hard to find like a, a a fault with it, you know, with any of the tracks. And that was just one that kind of stuck out because sure. the other ones are, um, you know, so strong. And I think, I mean, many people, famous musicians and everything, have, have cited this as one of the inspiration for them starting bands and, and Elvis Costello, all the all these. Uh, different artists have said like this this was the album I listened to and it like changed the way I thought albums were supposed to be well so as, as a non-famous well musician um, I will never <laughs> listen to this record again and never should anyone <laughs> listening to this podcast take it or leave it honestly yeah okay. it, 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 I don't think that you could fucking trip over a Beatles fan and not have them blurt revolver at you. So the, it's going to be in this book, and yeah. you know the the Beatles deserve to be in this book. Not my jam, but you know you're I'm, just accepting your fate. Kind of man. <laughs> I don't know. Like I, 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 cool. I again, I, 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 I have liked a Beatles record because of this. So yeah, I'm, not That's all cool. hope is lost. And to to tag on to Birch's, you know, for those more interested in the either the recording or the, the theory behind it the books the beatles as musicians by walter everett two books absolutely fantastic breakdown the entire process and 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 there's some shankirian analysis for those who are so inclined uh helps fill in a lot of cool cool little bits anyway. cool uh i got one tidbit here uh, do you know why Lennon could have been killed singing Yellow Submarine? Because he was on drugs? Mm. Was there water involved? Yes. The, they submerged... The, gurgle, the gurgling... They submerged uh, the microphone... Uh, condenser immersed in water. It was a powered condenser <laughs> microphone. Oh because he wanted to sing underwater, so they put the microphone in a condom and submerged it, and he sang underwater. <laughs> <laughs> that whole, like, breakdown part in the middle. I, I believe so, yes. Those, those crazy kids, man. 
but he could have easily been electrocuted because the, the microphone would have was, uh, <laughs> was uh, powered. Uh, next time we'll be talking about the Beach Boys' Pet Sounds. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We all